Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Get The Behind Me, the wildly inconsistent as to who's on it uh, show where we talk about the hit series Left Behind. And I say hit because I'm hitting myself about the fact that when it came out, I was still a teenager and podcasts weren't invented yet because I would love to have done this in a timely fashion. Back to the to the thrilling saga of housewife Irene and her egg coffee. So it's interesting to me that he just continues to process the loss of his wife in terms of like servant stuff and housewifery. Like mm-hmm. Rayford unplugged the coffee pot uh, that you know that had been running for hours and ruined the brew. He dumped the mess and left the pot and left the pot in the sink. Yeah. Like for who? It's not his job, right? It's like, fine. He'll get a new wife made. I wonder what these guys think about gender roles. Yeah, right. Mm, I'm not sure. Somehow, it's really a complex and layered take on how people complement each other, regardless of the gender they identify as. Oh, sorry, that's just me. Yeah, and so like he keeps wandering through the house, like avoiding going upstairs. Um, he gets really excited at the fact that one of the cars is missing, and then he realizes, oh, it's his own BMW. Has to specify exactly what type of rich person car he drives. Um, like the 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 aside for him into the garage just so he could just so that the author could specify that he drives a BMW is hilarious to me. Do they specify what the other car is? I'm trying to remember. They, they do not. They don't. But oh, it, is, it is a three car garage. Yeah. Because it is airline a three car pilots. garage because the other two were there. Yeah. So this is a three car garage for Mr. Captain of Airline Industry here. Like <laughs> one just for his daughter when she's home from college. Yeah. Now I'll admit I don't know the field, but do airline pilots make three car garage money here? Not like, as I didn't far think as they I'm did. Aware. Like even back in the nineties, I thought I mean, they were well enough off, but like I did not recall them making enough money to have a three car garage on a single income family. They also yeah. make a point of of mentioning his four wheeler, his snowmobile, his bike, like. So we can come to the conclusion Rayford has dirty money, right? Like there's there's things going on in the background that we don't know about. (laughs) So what what we're what we're getting the picture here is that he's using his role as an airline pilot to do human trafficking or something terrible. I mean, I'm not saying he is, but I'm certainly not smuggling cocaine teddy bears. Yeah, something. (laughs) Gotta be something because this does not track. They're all in the back of his BMW. And then he stops for a minute and mentions all of his broken promises to his son. Like, fair. Like, honestly, I I do want to give them credit for for that line, at least, for the recognition that being this type of hyper-masculine man separates you from your family in a way that's not good. Like, that... like you, you don't see that. I don't, as I recall, like I haven't read too far ahead since I was a kid. I don't recall the the love of family in that way ever really coming back to him. Um, but that moment of realization, like, yeah, okay, like that that one I can buy. Like I can actually get with that. That you know, this ideal of the Christian man in this moment is like, oh yeah, I kind of didn't give a shit about my son. 
like fair fair like I, I hope that realization takes and i'm excited to see how the realization of his neglect of his family really changes his life going forward spoiler alert it doesn't it does not <laughs> um and, and then so, we're back to buck who likes to read emails there's so many emails for a book written in the 90s there's way too many emails in my opinion yeah honestly um but again keep in mind that the intent of the authors was to <clears throat> to demonstrate their privilege in their avatars because uh, Fred Clark over on Pathias, uh, an author over there who did a whole breakdown of this stuff, eludicated this way better than I could. But the the authors are using Rayford and Buck as stand-ins for themselves. Like one of them's LaHaye, one of them's Jenkins. Um, yeah. And so they repeatedly are trying to demonstrate their... These guys. Yeah, those guys. So through Killers this, they're trying to... They're trying to demonstrate their kind of psychosexual virility here, how much they have, how important they are, how powerful they are. And emails in the 90s were a way of demonstrating that. Like if you got a million emails a day, you weren't just anybody who hasn't figured out how to set up a spam filter. You were somebody important enough to be getting someone emails. important. Yeah. 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 So this year you reads had business to, us as, to take care of. Right. So today this reads to us as like yeah everybody gets emails what the hell but back then it was a way of like they were bragging that's what this was right like look how important i am that i get all these emails um and then we we do another i'm pretty sure that this is a flashback yeah this is a flashback mm -hmm. to um to buck's conversation with Heim rosenzweig which is a border again a borderline racist jewish name in the first place um love it and you know first off let, let me get this out of the way this is laced with anti-semitism here like oh 100 percent. yeah the fun part i've been listening to the audiobook for this uh, -huh. uh i don't know if lahey and jenkins had something to do with who got casted for it but his voice in the audiobook is the most stereotypical old jewish man they could possibly find Wow. Nikolai Carpathia and like all the weird like little back of the throat like stereotypical like BS that you would hear in like a 1940s anti-Semitic short. And the worst part about it is is I have seen and met native Hebrew speakers from Israel before. And to be perfectly honest, in my opinion, the the Hebrew accent when speaking in English beautiful man like i absolutely love it mm -hmm. like it doesn't sound guttural and weird and strange at all but it's presented that way by people who are a little bit anti-semitic uh or it's not actually what the accent sounds like but we, we want it to sound back of the throat and weird and yes. like foreign um yeah. so anyway so we get we get kicked back to rosen's week talking about the like his whole miracle formula and how everybody wanted to flatter him and you get this whole oh i'm falsely humble kind of aspect for, from rosen's week um and like fucking what right like it's badly written for one and it, it, no I, no it's intentionally written it's it's those Please don't take the, what I'm about to say out of context. I'm 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 referencing the the way that the book is treating the topic. It's it's those sneaky Jews. Yeah, they'll yeah, put one over them. on you. <laughs> yeah, like but... that's exactly why it's like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's 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 it exactly. Like I was going to say, it's badly written in the fact that nobody who's even remotely ethical would write a Jewish character like that. But it is intentional. It can be both intentional and bad at the same time. But I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This entire um, book. And then, like, this is all in the context of Buck having a meeting with Rosenzweig about his formula. The whole thing immediately diverges into minor dignitary from Romania. Um, because that's the thing that is important here. And it's only important narratively because they have to set up this guy as being the Antichrist. Because, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read the damn book, uh, this minor dignitary from Romania eventually winds up being the the spawn of Satan, the demonic Antichrist figure. Notwithstanding well, that... They picked a more ridiculous name. <laughs> like, it, it, if the roles were reversed here and the Antichrist were meant to be the Jewish figure and the the other guy was meant to be the, the uh, uh, Eastern European, like, instead of Nicole Carpathia, they would have named him Jewish Jewy guy. Like that's that's how like on the nose for an Eastern European this is like way way too stupidly blunt, yeah. But that that being said, like I feel the need to mention here as we start introducing the character of the Antichrist that the term Antichristos in the Bible is not meant to highlight a character; it is a descriptive trait that is applied to people who are acting against the interests of christ and christendom in the world so like it's perfectly fine to call lahey and jenkins antichristos because (laughs) that's what they're doing uh but it isn't like a singular figure um Mm -hmm. the idea of an antichrist figure popping up in this revelation analog is done by adapting pieces of the revelation story which again is, is a story it's not a prediction of the future applying the term antichristos which mostly pops up in second timothy to this crossbred with stuff from the old testament like it's not even a figure that regularly shows up in the bible so that out of the way let's dig into this giant hot mess of insanity here um like he's a low-level diplomat and by the way uh random jewish gardener scientist explains how the romanian parliamentary system works to globe-trotting journalist who specializes in international politics is a weird fucking narrative term yeah i thought it was really odd that he had no idea how any of that worked i'm like aren't you supposed to be the guy that knows these things why is he explaining it to you isn't this your thing like this is your beat right like what the hell um and then we get the the repeated stressors about how this guy is bright and honest and open. And we find out later that Rosenzweig's understanding of him this way is because the, the Antichrist has the, this mind control power or whatever, because, and this is an aspect of how badly it's written. If you're going to have an Antichrist figure, he can't just be smart and able to manipulate people and events and, you know, basically like a, like an end times Palpatine. Um, no, he has to have magical powers because that's the only way somebody could accomplish this this kind of sure. manipulation. Um, Somehow, the, the Antichrist returned. Yes! I like it. Perfect. The, the sequels that are going to come out in another... Well, we're probably about due. Yeah. But what I think is interesting here is, and this is something we'll come back to again and again and again, is that their representation of the Antichrist is 
bright and honest and open to suggest that B's attributes are of a result of manipulation. Nobody would really be bright and honest and open and caring and kind and compassionate if they didn't have an ulterior motive or weren't actually the Antichrist, which leads to the suggestion that these qualities of being bright and honest and open and kind and caring and compassionate are anti-Christian, which is eventually where evangelical theology lies. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's subtle, but I, it's I, something something things they said about Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll he's a good in, public speaker. He must be evil. In chapter five, we'll get to their presentation of black people. That's a whole nother bag of worms. Uh. <laughs> so we finish up with this bit with Rosenzweig here, and we're on now to to buck uh at the counter uh apparently trying to get like uh, i wasn't quite sure if it was a rental car counter or an airplane counter i think in the end it turns out to be an airplane counter mm-hmm. and i am just like absolutely loving how obsessed everybody seems to be with buck here like just over the top like he shows up and he's got to brag about being a kryptonite member like i'm the top three percent of travelers here the lady at the desk immediately recognizes it. Oh, you're that journalist. Which, by the way, dear viewer, uh, pause for a second. I, I want you to take 10 seconds and see if, without looking anything up online, you can give the name of any journalist ever. Like, some uh, of us might be able to, but, like, I, I love journalists, don't get me wrong. I, I could name the name of one journalist, and I'm sure Courtney could, because, like, that happens to be a member of your family. But... In the greater world, like they're not generally treated as celebrities, although some of them should be, particularly Scott. Um, no, they just know everybody. <laughs> yeah, right. They're well connected, but they are not well known by everybody. So mm. none of this makes sense. No, none. Well, and like even if you have like a regular favorite author in the the New York Times or something like that, would you know off the top of your head what they looked like? Would you recognize them at a restaurant? Yeah. Oh my, oh my gosh, she said. Tell me you're not the Cameron Williams from that magazine. Like Nobody in the history of the world has ever reacted to a magazine journalist that way. No. Never, never once. Not unless you're into it. They're, they do a niche publication and you're into that niche. <laughs> like, And so not only does he get this kind of reaction from the lady at the gate, the lady at the gate, who I might add, has spent the entire apocalypse so far working her job and telling people no there's nothing i can do for you she's been a fucking npc standing there the whole time going there's nothing i can do for you i have no planes yeah your princess is in another castle (laughs) like and she finds doing that job to be the most important thing for her to be doing and she's mad about it like why are you there it's, it's quite possible there will be no more economy in like the next 20 minutes. What the hell are you doing working for capitalism? Leave. But that oh, aside, that aside, she's been angry about standing at her desk for the whole apocalypse telling people that there are no more planes. But Buck Williams shows up and, oh, I know who you can talk to. I got a guy for you. Hey, him, I can help. You're the main character. Top 3%. Of course I have something to help you. Top three percent of what? Um, so that's that. He gets the info, and we are back to our buddy Rayford. And if by now you're wondering, oh my god, this has been a long chapter. Yes, it has. 
these authors are wildly inconsistent with their chapter length, which is why I'm willing to put good money that chapter four has been already spliced into a two part. So if you're <laughs> listening to us now and we're halfway through part two, that's probably why it's a long ass chapter. Um, so we got this Rayford's going up, he's going up to bed and I have to admit the, the uniquely perverted part of me is just waiting to figure out what happened. Cause we already know that this happened during nighttime. It happened before mm -hmm. his wife got out of bed. And we know that the primary result of the of the rapture is you leave your clothes behind. So this is going to be a fantastic window for us to figure out what evangelicals think a woman looks like at nighttime. Right. Like, setting the sexual aspect of it aside, like, I'm really interested going into this. Are we going to see, like, magical Mormon undergarments or something like that? What is this going to look like? <laughs> Like you I have just know. edge of my seat for what this is going to look like. And so we, okay, we go now I've got to look because I can't remember what it was. Yeah, me <laughs> either. This is kind of why I'm a little excited here. I'm scrolling through it on the on the iPad next to me. So we go up and like we're building the tension. He's kind of emotionally edging at this point, looking at the pictures going up the stairs. <laughs> um he could wait no longer. Raymond's door was open a crack, or Raimi's door is open a crack. Uh he finds Raimi's bull pajamas, top underpants and socks okay we, we've listed his entire articles of clothing um i'm getting more and more eager to get to the wife here but like okay so we we understand that the same thing has happened to his kid has happened to everyone else mm -hmm. um he, he has an un, a very understandable emotional reaction here like this is one of the few points in this book where i'm kind of like badly written but i'm with the authors here but okay an emotional reaction here you know feeling like lead and um you know he, although admittedly the first thing he turns to is like um the picture he gave to his son with respect to his plane and his job and stuff like that and there is a little bit of self-reflection yeah. about mm -hmm. the fact that he signed it like what kind of dad autographs a picture for his own son like he's so close to a moment of realization that the author needs to have about the disparity between what he thinks an airline pilot is and what one actually is but he doesn't quite get there. So he continues on into the hall. He paused before the French doors that lead to the master suite. Like he can't even stop jacking himself off over the design of his house, even in this moment. Um, no alarm. Coffee had always roused Irene. Like, okay. Um, he approached the bed, the indented pillow, the wrinkled covers. He could smell her. Like, this is unintentionally sexual. I kind of love it. Um, Her locket, her flannel nightgown. Like, like why? <laughs> just why? There is a disparity. Like, there are so many different ways this could have gone. Like, I, I will almost credit it, almost credit it with realism, because... I've been married for 15 years. Like I, I know what women are like when they're comfortable and it's not, you know, lingerie and thongs all the way over. Like they, they are humans like the rest of us. They wear comfortable clothes to bed if they wear clothes to bed at all. Um, which honestly was a direction this could have gone. And if I were writing this, I would have had Irene be sleeping in the nude so that it continued to raise questions. It would have been freaking hilarious. He throws back the covers and finds absolutely nothing and then realizes, crap, my wife sleeps in the nude. I have no way of knowing if she was raptured or not. That would and have been wrinkles. hilarious. 
<laughs> and the ring is on the pillow like it is. Yeah. But we wind up with flannel nightgown, uh, wedding ring on her pillow. Okay, fine. Like physical contours of the situation notwithstanding. All right. But I just, I just want to stop at flannel nightgown because like it is simultaneously entirely realistic, but also entirely unrealistic. It's literally Schrodinger's nightgown here. Because of course a woman would wear comfy clothes to bed, but at the same time he's portraying it that way, the author, because he wants to present Irene as a desexualized woman. Like he doesn't, he the, he's still establishing contrast between her and our erstwhile whore of Babylon from earlier. Like flannel nightgown is the least sexy thing he can think of, and that's peak Irene to to this character. So at the it, simultaneously utterly realistic and wildly unrealistic. I stand by my description of that as Schrodinger's nightgown. As like amazing to me. Yeah, the the fact that he could pull off exactly 50-50 of just like was that on purpose or uh... not on purpose was it not was he being realistic was he being wildly desexualizing to his Christian wife like because a good Christian wife doesn't have any sexual agency of her own as we've established in previous right. chapters. What the hell is he doing with this? Like I want answers. Well, it's and it's, it specifically it. says her. It says her flannel nightgown, the one he always kidded her about, and which she only wore when he was not home. Oh, Evidence. yeah. So that means it's her comfiest. That means it's like the comfiest thing in the world, and he gives her shit about it. Yeah, he gives her shit. Like <laughs> you, dude. That, that's the not dark reading of it. Like the dark reading of that is that he didn't allow her to dress in ways that didn't please him while he was around. Which That's is consistent with an it. evangelical understanding of the role of women in a marriage. Like, mm-hmm. oh God. Like, there is a dominionist reading of this that is absolutely terrifying, and our resident evangelical can back me up on this. Evangelical <laughs> gender roles tends to lean towards that, am I right? Yep. And there's there's not much to add to that. It, it's pretty nail on the head, and it's pretty obvious that that's what they were going for. Yeah. And that is... Reagan's scary uh, mm-hmm. because like Irene here was almost like a prisoner in her own house. Like if this were a relationship that existed in the real world, it would almost make more sense for Irene to be the one flirting with an affair here rather than Rayford. Like no, he's it's... gone all the time. I'm looking back over it and I've got this sudden clarity about it. That's not the archetype that he's considering her. It's like, it she's she's the mother figure Mm -hmm. i mean listen to uh like and there's a pat there's like a couple of paragraphs here where there's some actual emotion there and yet i feel like it it says a lot about a lot here okay um his throat tight his eyes full he noticed her wedding ring near the pillow where she always supported her cheek with her hand it was too much to bear and he broke down he gathered the ring into his palm and sat on the edge of the bed, his body racked with fatigue and grief. He put the ring in his jacket pocket and noticed the package she had mailed. Tearing it open, he found two of his favorite homemade cookies with hearts drawn on the top in chocolate. Ah, uh, what a sweet, sweet woman, he thought. I never deserved her, never loved her enough. He set the cookies on the be- on the bedside table, their essence filling the air. Ah... Uh, It just it reads very much like a like a 
That sounds like how you describe your mother. Yes. Not your wife. And that is <laughs> right here. This is the crux of what you could call evangelical manhood. Once you marry a woman, she becomes your new mother and you start looking for tail on the side. Mm-hmm. Like a wife is not a sexual creature. A wife is not an equal. A wife is not a partner. A wife is the woman who makes me cookies and takes care of my children. Which, you know, does make me wonder how, where evangelicals think babies come from. But, you know, no one's ever accused that community of having an overburdens of biological smarts. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is where we end chapter four is with Thank this. God confusing sexist nightmare of a relationship that he's somehow sad about losing yeah he's literally spent his whole life to this point trying to get out of it by banging a stewardess um well and he's he should be relatable too right like this is supposed to be like a scene that like readers feel themselves in is this is this what these guys think uh like most men think of their wives as just like <laughs> no mom like, part two like setting aside the fact that i do the majority of cooking and whatnot for our house like i'm kind of as much housekeeper as my wife is um like i do believe in equality of gender roles i think we all do um mm -hmm. you know my wife is not a mother figure my i mean except to my children of course but even that like mother but figure that's is, different like that's yeah, right I mean, if you want the resident, even you know, ex-evangelicals' uh, point of view here, Please. I had to spend time with my wife in early on in our marriage of her being like, you know, I'm not your mom, right? And I'm like, I'm not saying you're my mom. You're just supposed to do these things. And she goes, who used to do those things for you? My mom. Mm. Oh, so I was raised in, oh, my wife is just supposed to take care of me now. She's supposed to know where everything is. She's supposed to remember things for me. She's supposed to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize that was something I was learning until that time. <laughs> yeah. So yes, there, yeah, it's widespread. Yeah. There there is a belief in evangelical circles that, you know, wife is a servant. And even if you are a deliberately progressive person, like a lot of that's programmed in from the get-go. And some of us have had to deprogram some of that as we've come of age yep. to to learn that like if you want to have a relationship with a real woman who is a fully realized person and not basically just a fleshlight who makes cookies then you need to actually talk to them and share duties with them and be part of their lives. Weirdly enough. Like, you know, until we've developed peak sex bot technology, that perfect evangelical wife ain't going to be a thing, but with abuse. Yeah. So that is where we are ending this uh, almost certainly two-part episode on chapter four. Uh, stay tuned for next week when we get into chapter five, which is, uh, but which I, I would title uh, Buck Williams and the Intentional Unintentional Racism. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a riot. We're going to have some fun with that one. Uh, in the meantime, those of you who've been following along, thanks for sticking around with us. Um, we've got a lot going on. This this video series is part of what we're doing at Unfinished Community, which is our, our church community that is both online and in person. We've got Bible studies coming up. We've got worship services coming up. All of this you can find at the website that is linked below. 
Um, I, as much as I appreciate, I love a parasocial relationship as much as the next guy, but, uh, <laughs> we're unique in the fact that you can have an actual relationship with all of us. If you join the discord server and get to talking with the community, we actually respond to people and have conversations and whatnot about the Bible yeah. and Christian things. That's crazy. Yeah. You want to, yeah, I'm, I'm just a person. This isn't, this isn't a character. I'm just weird. <laughs> yeah. We're all normally like this geeks and freaks alike. And that's okay because God loves us all. So come join us in the community and hopefully we will see you in the next episode. Bye everybody. Bye. Peace.